Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. For many years, the world of freight in America ran east to west as imports primarily came from Europe and then moved across to the western portions of the country. In the 20th century, things shifted as China and the Far East became manufacturing hubs and transported their goods to west coast ports and then eastward throughout the rest of America. Now in the 21st century, a new frontier has emerged in the form of Mexico. With lower labor costs and the added benefit of being right on the U.S. border, Mexico has become the U.S.'s largest trade partner and has been a haven for companies to relocate in order to move goods to the U.S. across much shorter distances and also shorten their supply chains. But is it all too much too quickly? Is business moving faster than expectation? Is Mexico ready to take on the weight of freight of a 21st century superpower? We'll take a look next on FreightWaves Presents. And welcome to FreightWaves Presents. I'm Bill Priestley. Mexico is a country of some 126 million people, about a third of the United States, and 3.5 times that of Canada. Its climate boasts year-round capabilities, and its inhabitants have certainly respected the benefits created by being neighbors with the largest economy in the world. However, with the latest deer-shoring moves made by companies off both coasts, what has been wave of economic growth has the capability of turning into a tsunami. With that, let's set the stage for you. Mexico has never been a stranger to companies that wanted to move operations there to take advantage of better financial terms, as well as lower labor costs and lower regulation. But recent history shows COVID-19's emergence and China effectively shutting down operations caused a scare in the Far East and promoted more industries to think about nearshoring in Mexico. Even some Chinese manufacturers have moved operations to Mexico to take advantage of the shorter trip to move goods into America. Over the last several years, announcement after announcement let people know that moving to Mexico was more than a fad. It was proving to make good business sense. Even American companies like Tesla announced that they were building manufacturing facilities south of the border. But now that wave of growth has started to make a major impression on the Western economy. Laredo, Texas has been the largest port in the United States for over the last five months. Mexico is steadily remaining the U.S.'s top trade partner. One congressman has stated that he saw U.S.-Mexico trade would eclipse the $1 trillion mark in 2028 after being somewhere around $800 billion this year. Yet is all of this growth too quick for a nation that has very little infrastructure or investment and not to mention a small government that probably isn't equipped to take on the task of regulating all this new industry? How does Mexico deal with the unusual element of drug cartels that control much of the northern part of the country? Certainly, the potential for unbelievable growth is there, but is it sustainable and will it only be available to the first players that appeared on Mexican soil? Or is this truly a Mexican gold mine that can pay out for decades to come? Joining us now to talk about it and kind of set the stage, if you will, Noema Hody, our um, 
Borderlands writer, joins us from San Antonio, Texas. Noah, thanks so much for stopping in. And just you've written, obviously, a lot about this issue over the course of the last several years or so. But as you look at it, what is your general feeling right now about what's happening in Mexico in terms of this boom in economic activity and, and what it means for that country and how they want to capitalize on it? Yeah, you know, uh, the pandemic really sort of set the stage for Mexico to really benefit from this uh, shifting supply chains, uh, you know, global supply chains. And especially uh, it was sort of unusual timing that the pandemic happened while we were getting a new North American trade agreement, the uh, United States-Mexico-Canada trade agreement. And those two things sort of coinciding at the same time really provided Mex- is providing Mexico with the goals and opportunity to benefit from, as I said earlier, shifting supply chains, you know, what, what Mexico uh, has been doing and needs to do, continue to do is, you know, keep attracting foreign direct investments, investments, making sure uh, businesses know that, you know, this country or Mexico is a secure place to do business. Uh, you know, other things, uh, Mexico uh, needs to keep improving its road infrastructure and port infrastructure to make sure that the, the freight can flow, you know, freely across North America. Other things that Mexico has been working on, uh, doing a better job of, is improving its uh, labor rights and uh, 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 labor pool, making sure that, um, you know, factory workers, uh, workers, manufacturing workers are being paid sort of what they deserve, something that hasn't always been, uh, you know, a part of Mexico. And other things include improving road security. That's one of the, one of the big ones, and that's one I hear over and over from uh, trucking companies and and trade operators is that Mexico needs to do a better job of clamping down on uh, cargo theft, which has been a real problem in the country historically. We had a little bit of that this morning with freight waves. Now, of course, a strike was averted uh, at least for three months or so on that very issue. And uh, you you alluded to a, a number of issues that you brought up in an article that was they wrote back in February on five things Mexico needs to do to kind of capitalize on this. One of those things that you mentioned here that you didn't mention in that article was safety uh, in that article area that in, in terms of what Mexico needs to be uh, able to kind of get more of a grasp of. How much of that is uh, just a complete outlier? Because you don't really see this that much in terms of, of, of a deterrent of trying to invest in the company. All of a sudden, you have to deal with an element of, of crime, an element uh, that you can't trust at all, unless in, in certain cases you can pay it off. Uh, but, uh, you know, what's this been like in terms of dealing with that element and, and trying to, in helping Mexico or trying to help Mexico, uh, achieve some potential in this endeavor? Yeah. You know, as I said, it's, it's always been a problem in Mexico and it seems, uh, since the pandemic, uh, since I've been writing about Mexico trade, cargo theft has been increasing, you know, month to month, year to year, every year. Uh, and as we talked about earlier this morning, uh, truck driving association, you know, that almost went on strike this week. That was one of their top demands, you know, that the, that the government in Mexico, the uh, National Guard, which is a law enforcement uh, arm that patrols the national highways, they basically demanded, you know, the National Guard to step up their patrols, to do more to patrol the highways, to protect, you know, truck drivers. Truck drivers, they say, are being, you know, uh, robbed, uh, kidnapped, you know, beaten uh, on a daily basis. And so it's a very scary situation sometimes for these drivers, you know, trying to haul goods, you know, through through Mexico and up to 
you know, the, the U.S.-Mexico border. Uh, and one of the things we saw over the over the weekend was the National Guard agreeing to step up and do more to patrol the highways. So we'll see how that plays out over, you know, the next uh, three months or a few months. As you look at this situation right now, obviously there are a lot of people that are very bullish about moving to Mexico. Obviously Tesla moved down there, uh, put a factory down there as well. Um, what is the sky the limit there, or there still are there still reservations for even those that are bullish about what the possibilities are in, in moving more business to Mexico and Central America? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I think it, uh, the sky is the limit, but there are some you know concerns in terms of I mentioned earlier security. Um, you know, is Mexico a secure place to? Put a factory, you know, will they honor, uh, will the court system, you know, honor a, a business contract? You know, that's that's been something that, that some people question. Uh, but, you know, nearshoring is arriving and, is, and maybe this is just the first wave and we're going to see more, you know, even larger waves of nearshoring. So the key for Mexico will be not, not you know, is nearshoring going to happen? It is happening. Uh, and will they be able to, you know, capitalize on it as a government, you know, on a, on a federal level. I know on the state level, a lot of state governors are really doing everything they can to open up, you know, their states to, you know, new factories, you know, Tesla going into uh, the state of Nuevo León was a real big uh, uh, win for that state. So we'll, we'll see if the federal government can really do its, its part and, uh, you know, keep the country, uh, keep foreign direct investment flowing into the country. One last question here for you. As you look kind of forward, and, and you kind of did there, there just a second ago, um, in terms of what's coming, obviously there's been a wave that's come in. Is this expected to expand in terms of the number of companies, or at least certainly the number of the, the amount of interest that is headed down there, or is this something that you see maybe tapering off, plateauing, if you will, for right now? Um, for my part, I still see see it as a growth pattern, as more companies uh, arriving in Mexico. Like I said, this is might be just the first wave and we could see even more in terms of, you know, automotive manufacturers, uh, you know, medical equipment, industrial machinery, clothing, furniture. Uh, we could see a little bit of all of that. And so I think, you know, really uh, the sky is the limit and it's just how well can the Mexican government take advantage of this uh, golden opportunity. That's something we'll definitely be talking about with our next two guests. But Noy, thanks so much for joining us and uh, keep up the good writing there on uh, our Borderlands column on FreightWaves.com. Thank you so much. All right. Joining us now to talk about this, we have Leticia Rodriguez, Director of Marketing and Carry Development at the, the Operations for ILS Company in Tucson, Arizona. And we've got Jordan DeWatt, President of Redwood Logistics in Mexico, uh, Redwood Logistics Mexico, I should say, uh, at that particular time. So, um, both of you, thanks so much for joining us here at this particular point. Leticia, let me talk. Let me uh, first uh, address you in terms of kind of what you just heard and also your your impressions of the situation as you've seen it right now. What is what is the impression of investment in Mexico nearshoring and how do you see it playing out uh, in the near future? I think we may have an audio issue there, Leticia. We'll check on that in just a second here. Uh, Jordan, let me just uh, check over to you if I can. In terms of your uh, impressions of what's going on in Mexico, uh, obviously you've got a lot of experience down there in terms of what you see. Is this going to be a, a big boom economically or could it possibly be a big bust as well? Uh, yeah, thanks. And, and great to be on the show today. Uh, I, I've been doing business in Mexico uh, since the side they signed the NAFTA agreement uh, in the mid-90s. 
And, uh, and it's, wow, we've come a long way since then, but nothing like we've seen in the last couple of years. Uh, I think there's no doubt that there'll be a huge boom of business uh, in Mexico. And really, what you, if you look at it in 2023, which is already uh, up over 2022, this is just a lull. A lot of these factories, new, new factories and uh, new investment haven't even come online yet. Uh, so the, the best is yet to come, so to speak. There, there's no question that there'll be uh, a massive growth uh, in Mexico across the board. Letitia, let me st- throw it back to you in terms of what your impressions are of the current situation. Okay. Uh, can you hear now? We're good? Yep, we're good. Okay. Okay. All right. So, yeah, everything, you know, I agree with what Noi mentioned. And, and the the right now, it's here to stay. It's going to keep growing. Uh, there's a lot of uh, different, uh, there's other options. You know, Mexico provides an option for even like the smaller shippers that um, maybe just want to do a, have a consignment order and they don't are actually not manufacturing in Mexico, but they technically have a, they have a little bit of a presence here and can actually distribute to the big, big automotive companies. And then there's the ones that are going to establish themselves in Mexico and continue that growth. Um, You know, as you mentioned, Tesla's there, we're seeing Chinese companies take interest. So um, we just have to work through the hurdles of, uh, you know, the SAT requirements that, that we have, the carta porte. But uh, it's definitely here to stay um, and and uh, and looking forward to seeing that growth. So let me throw up a chart here, if I can, in terms of what we kind of seen a little bit on the border here. And what you're seeing here are just uh, numbers. of This is a uh, uh, market share that has come out of several different borderline territories. Uh, the white line there you see is Laredo, Texas. The purple line is Phoenix. Um, the orange line is McAllen, Texas. And just for comparison, the yellow line down there at the bottom is Ontario, uh, in California. And you can certainly see if you go back to 2019, kind of where that that uh, that chart starts, everyone's kind of basically at the same spot where you're seeing on the right end of the chart, 60, 70% growth in those border towns there as well. And so, uh, Jordan, let me throw it to you. As you look at this, you know, this looks like almost exponential growth at some point that may even, can't even be sustained if it continues to go up at that particular rate and continues to do that how do you measure in terms of what's moving uh, the, the needle in terms of, of Mexico as, as this newfound destination? And does it need to slow down a little bit? Yeah, I think there's, there's no question that uh, with everything that's projected to grow in Mexico, so many companies going down uh, th- that the demand side will be huge. But when you talk about the supply side, look, the railroads uh, aren't building any major new tracks. It's still uh, very similar as it was uh, many, many years ago. The Mexican truckers are not being aggressive in terms of adding more equipment. Uh, so there just won't be that supply to meet that demand. Um, and, and I really would forecast equipment constraints, capacity constraints, uh, e- even excess of what we saw during COVID. Uh, so we're really headed towards a perfect storm uh, once all of these factories come online. Yeah, it seems like that. Letitia, what do you see when you look at that chart and all of a sudden you've got a massive, massive amount of growth, especially in these border towns in terms of the traffic that's coming across the border? Yeah, we're, we're seeing that already. I mean, the, the, there's a lot of um, uh, any, all the, especially on the northbound shipping, there's uh, every truck that's coming down uh, southbound already has a northbound load ready and uh, rates are going up. So we're seeing that already. Um, so I, I agree with that. Um, and, and I think there's a, um, there's some programs that the, that there are for the border to expedite the crossing process, whether in Laredo and Nogales, Tijuana, um, like the FAST program combined with the CT patch. So it's, it allows for a, a faster crossing. So there might be, 
you know, I can see that probably getting, um, um, becoming something that'll be used more. Um, but it does require, you know, the carriers to have a good security practices in place. So I think it'll be something that might, we will see an increase of, and maybe an increase of fast lanes to help accommodate that demand. So there's things that can be done, but I do agree that we are, we're seeing it now. So we, if that continues, we'll, we'll be in a, even, uh, a little bit more of a crunch in that in a few more years. Jordan, I brought up the safety issue with Noy just a couple of minutes ago in terms of how dangerous sometimes this can be, especially for Mexican truckers and maybe even tra- rail as well. Uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis said that uh, at the uh, GB- GOP debate that he would like to put in troops on the ground and try to knock out the cartels. Now, I'm not going to ask you to comment on that at all, per se, but Suffice it to say, what would this relationship be like between Mexico and the United States if the cartels were not there? Yeah, I think things would be growing a lot more quickly. I think a lot of com- companies that are you know, resistant to uh, expanding outside the United States would be going into Mexico. There is no doubt that uh, this violence and insecurity in Mexico is impacting the potential growth. Uh, we don't see any major improvements going on, uh, like Noy mentioned. Both of the major uh, trucking associations in Mexico are, are, are holding protests. It's the number one ask that they have for the government. And things are not getting better. It, I think it could be the one thing that could derail the potential success of Mexico. So we've got our eye on it very, very close. Yeah, it's definitely something to consider as well. Uh, Leticia, as far as what you see, uh, it, obviously it's, it can be a dangerous game uh, in, in promoting and transporting freight across Mexico is there. Uh, how much of, a, of an impact do the cartels in your uh, estimation and your experience are they having on the freight world? I, I see it more on the on the southern uh, states, you know, uh, further down, um, I guess, further south in Querétaro um, seems to be more of a problem. The northern areas has a little bit more infrastructure um, and there's certain uh, hot spots, you know, you know, down in the Reynosa area. So I, I feel that um the tr- I mean, the trucking bus, the truckers, unfortunately, I mean, have a really dangerous job right now. And if they're you, if you're trying to cover a load from the from further south, it just becomes really difficult because you know they build in the rates are increased because they have to pay off you know a cartel person because they need to pa- pass, and also they're they're charging more because of the security, or they just don't want to do it, you know, in that certain in certain areas. So it's going to be interesting how that the government, which I know they came to an agreement um, just just today or just recently this weekend. Um, and if when that, um, if they're, the government is able to protect them, it'll make the, the trucker job a lot more attractive. But right now it's just there. They, they don't want, they don't want to risk it, you know, and, 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 and it's understandable. It's, it's a tough situation to be in. Let's take a look at, at the, uh, how this is going to be, or at least this, how it's trying to be manifested uh, and in what the Mexican government is trying to do there as well. Uh, Jordan, um, when you look at the situation, is the, does the Mexican government, in your opinion, have uh, an idea of that it can perhaps be able to regulate and, and be able to kind of close in on making sure that everything runs essentially relatively properly in this case? Or do they need outside help in order to try and caps, capitalize on this economic uh, opportunity that they have? Yeah, I mean, that, that's a great question. Obviously, you had President Felipe Calderon two, two terms ago try and take on the cartels unsuccessfully. Um, you know, this this government uh, currently is, in my opinion, not doing enough uh, to attack uh, all of the violence and all the cargo theft among many other uh, crimes being committed in Mexico. So 
Uh, they're really leaving it on the private sector to uh, to obviously have things like uh, satellite tracking uh, in their trailers, uh, all of their secure routes, um, private security companies, and uh, and then also a true real cost, which is uh, insurance, Mexico cargo insurance in Mexico. So um, I think the government in Mexico could be doing a lot more. I, I don't believe that they're capable of fixing this problem themselves. Leticia, what do you, what's your uh, take on, on whether or not the Mexican government can at least uh, try to apprehend the situation and deal with it as best they can, or do they need some outside help? Well, like he mentioned, it's been tried before, and it's and uh, the cartel seems to be more powerful, you know, than than uh, the government. So it's going to be a, a very difficult feat. Um, you know, I don't know if they'll be able to do it within the next uh, few years, just because of it's so so ingrained in their culture and just the way Mexico is now. Um, you know, I know we what we do is just we end up getting escort vehicles. Um, we end up getting the insurance and offer that as part of the package. And and um, I don't even know if outside help just because of the violence it brings in to the to civilians, you know, so it's something that that, you know, that must be considered as well. Yeah, something it's, it's often been said it's the price of doing business sometimes uh, to try and do that there as well. Um, moving on from from the negative to the positive, what are you most bullish about when it comes to Mexico? For instance, not too long ago, of course, we had um, the CPKC merger, which basically effectively said that you could get on a train in Mexico City and not get off of that train until it hit the Atlantic or Pacific coast of Canada uh, at that particular time. Is that becoming a boom for um, another reason, of course, to, to invest in Mexico? Because now, of course, you can uh, transport uh, with one carrier all the way to uh, the southern border of Canada. Jordan? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll, I'll actually be speaking uh, later next month uh, at IANA uh, with both railroads, and that'll be a major focus of our of our conversation. There. So um, I think, you know, the intermodal option is excellent right now. It's providing uh, a capacity and a much needed market. Uh, it provides uh, things like improved security, like we were just talking about. However, it is still limited uh, in terms of uh, capacity at this time. So uh, I, I'm not sure the exact figure of intermodal the truck, but it's it's still less than 20% of the overall market. So uh, when you talk about being able to step up to the uh, huge demand that's coming, it's going to have to come from the truckload side, in my opinion. Leticia, it's kind of the same question, but also as you look at what are the other needs perhaps uh, that, that need to be addressed uh, inside of being able to make Mexico that alternative option, obviously that rail option makes uh, a lot of sense for a lot of people that certainly do business in not only the United States, but also Canada as well. What else do, does does Mexico need to concern itself with as it moves forward with this? Um, well, one of the uh, hurdles that we're finding with with uh, rail um, is, you know, the, the time it takes, it's still longer. And a lot of the industries in Mexico right now, like a big one is automotive. And um, typically, you know, a lot of the stuff moves just in time or, or just become, you know, they're really costly if you get into line down situations. So I think it has to... You have to consider the commodity that that's moving, um, and uh, and all the there's the same difference as far as on the trucking side that you see a lot more northbound than southbound. Um, same on the rail, and um, there is a, a capacity issue as far as container availability in the Mexican markets, and I think that's going to be a, a big hurdle as well. Um, and it drives costs, um, you know, up and having to move empty equipment down to the areas that are needed. Well, we started off with a pretty good notion that the sky could possibly be the limit in terms of where things could possibly go with Mexico. But let me wrap up this discussion 
Uh, Jordan, in terms of where you see the potential of where this could go, a lot of people see, you know, we're possibly seeing a trillion dollars crossing the border in 2028. That's just five short years away from now. Uh, Massive growth needs to happen in order to accomplish that. But as you look at it, what is the potential of what could possibly happen to Mexico if they manage it correctly? Obviously, huge potential. Uh, We were seeing so many new products. I think that's the most encouraging thing to me. Uh, from high-tech, uh, automotive, obviously, but also aerospace, food and beverage. So it runs the gamut of products that are being made in Mexico now. Like like Noy said, and you just mentioned, truly the sky is the limit. Uh, however, when we talk about you know things that could derail it from security to capacity, uh, status quo is not going to cut it. Uh, we're going to have to do things differently. Uh, and I know we like a much overused term in the U.S. is becoming a shipper of choice. Uh, mm-hmm. But the U.S. market, had to do that to meet the current market conditions, right? With with uh, not enough drivers, Mexico is going to have to do that same thing, and companies are going to need to uh, do things a lot more efficiently than they're doing things today. They're going to be able to uh, turn equipment uh, and, and shorten uh, loading and unloading times because uh, we're just going to have to do a lot more with the same uh, infrastructure that we have today. Okay, Leticia, quickly, I've got about 10 seconds left. Can you, what's, what's your, is the sky the limit here for Mexico? It is. We're going it, to, it's, it's uh, constraints that, uh, that he mentioned, but I think overall, um, we're, they're going to be worked through and it, and hopefully we pick up the speed, you know, in Mexico. It's, that's really all that's, that's needed there. All right, Leticia Rodriguez and uh, Jordan DeWart, thanks so much for joining us. And uh, we'll see how this all plays out, of course, over the next decade. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of Freight Waves Presents. Coming up next on our episode in two weeks, when is this freight economy begins to turn? Will you be ready with your team to take advantage of the opportunities that you can create? We'll be joined by two of the best in the business in marketing and sales by Digital Dispatch's Blythe Brumleaf and Put the Coffee Down host and sales pro Kevin Hill. They'll go through the playbook on how to be successful in 2024, what you need to know, what you need to do now, and how to implement it all. How to beat the system. That's coming up in mid-September. For our entire crew here on Freight Presents, I'm Bill Priestley. We'll see you next time. Thank you.